but then how do you make sure that passion can be translated into value? And maybe I'm the, the sucker that thinks it needs to be valuable. If passion can ultimately translate to value creation, it's uh, you're set for life. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. All right, ladies and gentlemen, buckle up. This is going to be a fun conversation. Chris, welcome to the Better Wealth Show. It's been months trying to get you on. We finally connect. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a very long time. Yeah, Caleb, I'm fired up. Let's do this. So I, I want to I wanna just set the, set, set the tone here. Um, we connected... Um, and I'm like, I, you're a big, big deal. I want you to share your story. I don't want to steal your thunder. You, we connect via Zoom. I, I you remember this? And you're like, in your like Jeep or whatnot, convertible like, Bronco, yeah, yeah, Bronco. You're picking up this massive client. You're like, you know, you're having a conversation. But here's one thing: I have like a really good read on people. First minute, I'm like, this is an incredible introduction. Thank you, Brian Wish. And I just love hearing people's stories. I loved your vision. I loved how big you think. But one of the things that I love most about you is how articulate you are with what you're doing and how you can inspire others. So the bar is set, my friend. Yeah, I love um, it. No I love it. I um, do. I Listen, Caleb, that was on the other end of that phone call or fa I think it was a Zoom call that we did. It was a little bit more stressful than I probably put off. But I do because then I think I ended at the pickleball place where I was challenging my very competitive, also pro athlete wife in a game of pickleball. And um, so, you know, which is a great kind of reflection of the life, you know, it was three, four years ago, I had a vision of my, for myself that it was actually really around kiteboarding, but put in any sport that gives you fuel. But it was this idea that I, I was kiteboarding and I would come back and my two daughters who are 10 and 12 um, are kind of playing on the beach and my wife's hanging out. And then I go into the house and like I'm grilling and in between everything, I'm juggling business calls with different businesses. And it was this, you know, a, a great reflection of this blurred line between both my work life and my home life, but also this place where passion, purpose, and professional overlap. And, you know, even in, since we last talked, Caleb, I mean, my superpower, right? My greatest gift is understanding people and then helping really uncover people's dreams and being the catalyst to then help them pursue those things. And, and that's what essentially Save Your Asks, my latest book, is really written around, which is you know, that more of us need to be ruthlessly pursuing our passions, whether that be through a side hustle, through a nonprofit, or through just learning something that we've always wanted to learn. And so many people give up on those dreams at way too young of an age. And what I end up inheriting, Caleb, especially when I'm at these larger, you know, keynotes that I'm the kind of main speaker or whatever is these executives will pull me aside when no one else is around. And they're like, so Chris, don't tell my team this, but I have zero passions in my day-to-day -day job and I'm living an, an authentic life. You really inspire me up there. Where do I start? And it's clean up on aisle nine with these 55 year old, whatever executives. And what if, what if I could get ahead of that? Right. What if, what if I could help inspire the next generations to really put the time in to understand themselves and build a life that they never thought could be 
done, right? And I mean, with my 12-year-old, she's a huge horseback rider. I'm married to a professional soccer player, right? Like we knew nothing about horseback riding, nor the investment in it, right? And she, she just left to go to the horse farm. And this is where I get really fired up. It's, it was, um, so she's dyslexic. She's 12. And every single night, um, since she was five, we just spend time together hanging out, right? Right as she's going to bed. And I mean, it's actually kind of a dependency now. She can't go to bed without me, but I'm like, well, I'll take this for as long as it will last. And sometimes we read, sometimes I'll like last night I put an Apple TV show on and, you know, I'm just kind of like, she's listening to some um, book on tape, whatever it is. Right. But like, that's our time to connect. Right. And, and I call it the, Moments in between. I actually just wrote a blog post on this, but it's really the moments in between everything in life, right? That that actually are the most impactful. And so I'm trying to choreograph that into my day to day. And it was in one of these moments in between that I noticed she was stressed out and she had tears in her eyes. I knew she was kind of you know hesitant about sharing with me. And I said, "Finn, go for it. Like, what's going on?" And, you know, she was in school at the time and she told me about all these pressures she was feeling both socially as well as um, from, you know, being dyslexic, trying to keep up. And I turned to her and I said, listen, I want, I want to tell you a story about when I was your age and a little bit older. And I referenced, I can't bring my foot this high, but I referenced my first tattoo that I got when I was 18. And it's just like this little kind of, it's, it's kind of embarrassing now, but it meant something at the time. And I explained to her how I always had this dream from really middle school all the way through high school that if worse came to worse, I could always start my own resort in the Caribbean. And it was this dream of, you know, creating this place that I could just get away to and, you know, surf or kiteboard or whatever it is. And I could just escape everything. And I said, Finley, like you too need that, right? And Life being a ruthless pursuit of passions is the most important thing, but it's not going to be easy. And it's, you're going to have to really, I, I call it hustle muscle. You know, you got to build that hustle muscle. We talk a lot about that. And she kind of laughed a little bit, but then she was, I said, what, well, what's that thing for you, right? What's your resort in the Caribbean, Finn? And I knew what was coming. And she said, well, dad, I, I just want to ride horses. Well, I want to start, I want to have my own farm. And I said, okay, Finn. What, imagine a world where you're doing that all day, every day. And listen, like long division that you're so stressed about, keep asking Alexa that stuff because Alexa knows it, right? I'm not worried about that. Nor, I don't even care if you go to college, sweetie. Like it's not going to be easy, but you got to double down on that. And it was in that moment, Caleb, like people now are asking me and my whole, like everything, I'm touching a lot of different things and businesses and doing keynotes every week. Like, what is, like, what's that next act? And my next act is I want to, at, at scale, help people as early as possible, really starting at age 13, identify where their passions and strengths lie, and then give them more of a choose your own adventure to go after that. It's all this stuff, even you, you, I mean, you're so lucky, Caleb, look at you. Like, I watch your video clips on Instagram and I'm like, look at how, passionate he is about this stuff, right? Like you can't really fake that. And if you were stuck at some corporation, you'd be faking it all day, every day. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, ultimately, and I actually have some huge meetings um, coming up, which I can't really name names, but there's a group of very famous entrepreneurs that are redoing our educational systems. Um, and they're actually starting their own school together in Austin. And so I'm, I'm having conversations to them of what this might look like. Um, if we were to 
create something. I don't know it, where that'll go. It, it's it's funny, man. I have multiple people in my network that have talked about what you're saying about yeah. what's happening in Austin, and that just tells you the caliber of people that you're totally. that you're chatting with. I want to I want to ask yeah. you a That's question, but I want yeah yeah. Go. I want to point some things out. Number one, I'm going to ask you questions about how you find your passion. I'm going to ask yeah. you questions about strength finders and being like very clear about that because how you parent is someday I'm hoping to parent that way. And I'm just like, it honestly brings me, um, it makes me very emotional because I was that 12 year old dyslexic um, kid who was super short and went to, I had kind of a, a moment with my parents, especially my mom, where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to amount to anything and all of these things. And, and she said something very simple to me. She said, Caleb, the things that you can't control, don't worry about your identity doesn't come in. Like my parents did a great job helping me understand where my identity comes from, but the things that you can control, like like let's put our identity in the effort that we're doing. One thing, there are a couple of things I just wanna point out. Number one, I love what you're talking about with passion. I think something about the education system literally beats every living daylight out of passion. So do our businesses, by the way. Yeah, it just beats you down. But number two, number two is like, a lot, a lot of people don't don't even know how to even live that way. I remember working at the bank and thinking of, to myself, I refuse to live a life of regret. And it's so interesting to me because, and this is one thing I want to point out: your twelve-year-old is saying these things, and like to her, it's a really stressful. And yet, being twenty-six, I say, man, I twelve years old. There's nothing in the world <laughs> that should. But I'm going to look back at twenty-five, twenty-six years old, twenty years from now, and say. Why was I stressing out about what I'm stressing out about? You know what I'm saying? Like, do you totally. like, there's a, we will all die someday. Yeah. At the end of the day, I think it's so interesting that like wherever we are, time creates the most perspective. And it would be a shame for anybody watching this, for anybody listening to this, to not go for what your God given talents and passions are. So I think we can all agree on that. The real question is, how do you find that? Because someone could say, Caleb, it's easy for you to say. Chris, it's easy for you to say. How in the world do you find that? I just dumped a whole bunch of things on yeah. it. I just love well, this conversation. Let me, let me address a couple of those. And listen, you you and I are cut from the same cloth. I'm four, I just turned 42. I'm a little bit further in the journey. But I mean, listen, like, and I don't want anyone listening to be like, Chris has it all. I'm, I'm figuring this stuff out, right? Like I've gone through a week of being really scared, right? And I look at the life I've been able to create and... You know, horses are really expensive and you think I'm kidding, but like it really is like it's gotten out of control. And and that was really what was the catalyst to me freaking out and going in this tailspin. I'm coming out of it. But like, I don't think that goes away, but it's also what drives me. My wife reminds me of that. Like, that's what drives you. You kind of like it and thrive off of it. And I was like, yeah, you're kind of right. But so I don't want anyone listening to think like I've got it figured out, right? Like the last thing I want to be is like just a social media influencer or or someone that's just trying to get rich off of others. I want to I want to change the world. And I finally, for the first time ever, feel like I can do it. And I'm starting to do it with some of these relationships and and being that catalyst for others. And um, so here's the thing that I run up against a lot, right, is that especially more traditional corporations where I'm going in, sometimes I'll be even told I'm not allowed to talk about side hustles. And I'll say, all right, then I can't talk to you. So sorry. And um, the other thing is that as we start to talk about these things, right, these things that drive us as individuals, there is a pushback more specifically 
and on the generational side from boomers and Xers, older Xers, that life can't be a ruthless pursuit of passions. And, you know, I wrote my first book was all about generational differences in leadership. And if I were to tell you the biggest takeaway I have from that whole journey is that the younger you get generationally, the more of an expectation that passions will exist within whatever job you're going to take. And there's an expectation of that. And what's happening is younger people are getting into these corporations and they're like, this sucks. Like nothing that I was excited about is actually happening here. So I'm just going to leave and do it on my own. I mean, look at your journey. I'm sure it would kind of reflect a story arc that looks something like that. And so the other thing that I hit here, so I say to everyone and these corporate leaders, I'm like, hey, it's up to you guys to support your people's side hustles, encourage it. Because the role of you as a boss isn't just to tell people what to do, it's to be a mentor and a coach. So help uncover not only the passions of those people, but purpose statements and other pieces, and then create a tangible roadmap for them to achieve those in their day-to-day, whether that be working with a different part of the organization, whether it be supporting a nonprofit, or helping them launch a side hustle that is not in direct competition with whatever your company does. And then I get this, Caleb. So that's one thing, right? You got to overcome that. And it's like, well, what about the people that are passionate about something they suck at? And I don't know if I've told you this story, but um, I was I went to London in my sophomore year of college. I was at, I went to Vanderbilt, but I went through NYU. And going through NYU, I befriended two guys there, right? Like it was a very different uh, environment than what I was used to in, at Vanderbilt. And I was in London to really figure out why my British father didn't like to hug me, essentially. I was like, if I go there, maybe I'll figure out what drives my dad. And I quickly figured it out, right? So there was two guys I was hanging out with a lot. And each one of them had very distinct passions. And, and one of them, his name is Michael Lasher. He's actually pretty big in, in politics. And um, he was very passionate about magic. And not only was he passionate about magic, but he at age 12 was taken into David Copperfield's like small group of whatever, right? He had published, he was one of the youngest authors. And when we went to bars in London, there would be lines of people to watch Micah perform. It was crazy, right? And he was kind of born to be a magician, right? And and uh, he honed that skill, especially it was, you know, meeting people in London. It was one of the best things that we got to bring people to us because <laughs> I can tell you our, uh, our hitting on um, girls was not very honed at that time. And so Micah, the magician would come in now for the other guy in our group, his passion, when he told me, I was kind of taken aback because he said, I'm super, super passionate about comedy. And I, turned to him and I said, interesting, because you're not a very funny guy, right? But listen, dude, like we're in London. Like I I say, go for it, right? Go for it. When else are you going to be in London? They've opened night, mic nights all over the place. And it was, a, it was only until towards the end of the semester that he ended up doing one of these open mic nights. And it was exactly how you would imagine, Caleb. It was like that dark underground area underneath a pub, super smoky, Seven very, very British individuals discerning and not smiling or laughing. And it was horrible when he did it. And it was actually afterwards that we, you know, 
drank away. It was actually back when I drank. We we all just ended up partying our faces off because it was so bad. Like it was the only thing to do. And so what's interesting about that is we we then, you know, ended up going back to, you know, they went up back to New York. I went back to Atlanta and it was about three years later and we were all still in touch. Um, and, you know, Micah got into politics and this other guy, he, he actually ended up getting into a similar field as I was in with social, you know, I was in digital and social media and he was in the Google world. And so we were in touch and it was three years later after being in touch here and there, he, he sent me a text and saying, Chris, I'm coming down to Atlanta or near Atlanta and I'm playing at the Georgia theater. And I was like, are you a musician now? He's like, no, I'm, I'm a comedian. I was like, what? Like you, do you remember that night? Do you remember how horrible that was? You're the least funny dude in the world. How are you doing comedy? He was like, Chris, every single day since we left London, I've been practicing comedy. And you know what? I'm actually pretty funny. And I went out and saw him and you know what? He was actually pretty funny. And that was the story of Aziz Ansari, who then went on to create Parks and Rec. He's now, I think, you know, touring with Bill Murray. And I got to see this guy that ruthlessly pursued his passions or what anyone would call the 10,000 hour rule. And the truth of the matter is this, that most people just give up before they can get it. And we live in a society where instant gratification, and there's a variety of reasons why that is, like the guys sitting on Lambos waving $100 bills that get rich quick, our own impatience, as well as how scary it is. That's what's getting in the way. And I think if more people, no matter what your age is, doubled down and went after those passions, we'd not only be a lot more successful, but I think we'd all be a lot happier. happier. And that to me, right, my, my ultimate goal, why I was put on this earth is to unlock people's dreams and then be the catalyst and go after it. And that's it. And so... Anyone who has a passion that's outside of the thing that they were quote unquote born to do, screw that. Just keep going. Dude, pre- appreciate what you're articulating. And now I'm going to get practical. And get <laughs> yeah, tactical. I love it. Let's do it. Passion. Um, I would be, I would not be doing my job well as a, someone interviewing if I didn't lean in to say, okay, talk to me about how you find yes, your passion. Yes. Talk to me and how it can be practical. Cause here's, this is what I'll say. I got I got very blessed. I'll say to have my passions in a in a field that I can do quite well in. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm passionate about helping people with money, and that um, the world the the world will compensate me greatly for that. Okay, I also think our generation, while we we understand experiences are greater than you know living a miserable life, sometimes there's a value proposition, you know, entitlement, you know, drop off where it's like, well. I deserve X, Y, or Z, and I'm a big fan of like I might be young, but it's like supply and demand, buddy. Like your services or products are are not perceived as valuable. I'm not saying you're not valuable. Your what you're bringing to the marketplace is not valuable. That's the perception. Mm-hmm. All that to say, I'm very passionate about this because if because I want to help you be the catalyst that you were meant to be. Because at the end of the day. Um, people living a more passionate life will make the world a better place. How does that get practical? And and I, I touched on both ends. How do you sure. find your passion? But then how do you make sure that passion can be translated into value? And maybe I'm the, the sucker that thinks it needs to be valuable. If passion can ultimately translate to value creation, it's uh, you're set for life. The one thing I would say is one, the riches are in the niches, right? So with the riches being in the niches, it doesn't matter how nuanced your passion is, you there's millions of dollars if you go after it. And I actually have a handful of examples in my book, but 
I went to a guy named Vincent Puglesi, and Vincent wrote a book basically, and it's called Freelance to Freedom. And I went to Vincent. I was like, dude, I need some good examples of crazy nuanced passions of people making over a million dollars a year. Can you give me them? He was like, Chris, where do you want to start? Right. And so he told me one story of this yogi who she found that yoga was the most instrumental pieces in her pregnancy with her daughter and got super passionate about it and decided that her nuanced passion that she was going to go after was to teach other yogis how to do yoga for pregnant women and create a train the trainer system. That person that this yogi is now making over a million dollars a year teaching pregnant yogis how to do yoga. Right. And I've got a handful of other examples of that. So the riches are in the niches. It's just having the, I think, perseverance and the wherewithal to find where those things exist and be maniacally focused in order to, to see that through. So that's one side of it. Right. The other side of it is the exercise that I will use when I'm speaking specifically, you know, to these more 45 plus year old execs that they're like, okay, Chris, like, how do I even identify my passions? I don't even know. Like, I'm, I like golf. You know, I do that on the weekend. And I'm like, all right, so here's the exercise. Ready? So tactics. So here's the exercise. And it's called the Google Me exercise. And why it's the Google Me exercise is that if you, Caleb, were a search engine, what is it that everyone is going to you for advice around? What are they typing into that Google search bar? That is the Caleb search bar, right? So for me, it's big green egg recipes, or even how to put together a big green egg. It's how to learn how to kiteboard. It's building businesses out of books that scale. It's being the father of young daughters. It's crazy cool places to go and escape in the Caribbean that you never would have heard of. It's 30, at least 30 of these nuanced things that not only do people come to me for advice for, but I get fired up to actually talk about it. So that's the first exercise. So come up with 30 of those. And then it's the exercise of now, which of these things should I incubate or pursue? And if I said out of that whole list, what do you have enough passion, excitement, and tenacity around that if I said, you've got to write one book on one of those things, choose the subject, which is it going to be? And go write that book. And if you need help, I have a nonfiction book planner and I send that to people. And this is what happens in these meetings. And these these executives are like, holy crap, Chris, I never thought. And now like, so I'm being a catalyst to their dreams by holding them accountable with a nonfiction book planner if it's a super nuanced passion, right? That they never thought would have been able to pursue. And so that to me is tactically one of my favorite exercises for people listening to go after. And if you can't even do that, then it's it's time for exploration, right? It's time to start dabbling in many other things. Get out of your friend group and and go explore, right? Go travel and and go have the real conversations. I'm actually about to post a blog post and it's the most important question you can ask anyone when they're sitting across from you. And that most important question is what's your dream? What fires you up? And when you do that, that's where bonds are forged for life and where anything can happen, you know, and, and I now do it. My daughters will not go even to Publix with me because I, if I feel the energy, seriously, right? If I'm feeling the energy of that person just standing or whatever, I'm going to go there. And can I tell another story? A hundred percent, dude. I'm enjoying so this. I tell this right after I published Savior Asks in February. 
I, most authors will go do like a dumb speaking tour or whatever, right? And I'm not saying it's dumb. I learned off the first one. That's an ego play. And I said, all right, I'm, I'm, after we publish, I'm taking my family to Turks and Caicos because that is the vision that I'm actually putting into play where I can kiteboard and come back to the beach. My daughters are there. And then I'm kind of hopping on calls in between. Like the, that became a reality. And on that same day, I went to dinner and everyone was exhausted. And it was like this little restaurant at our resort. And it was one of those days, I think we've always felt this, where it's like a totally empty and you've got these waiters and waitresses that are all dressed up and you almost feel bad because no one else is there. And our waiter comes by and young guy, biggest smile. And uh, I could tell he was foreign. And his name was John Lee. And I just thought it was a cool name. And we start the conversation. And my daughters know where this is going. And they're like, oh, dad, can we go play in the field next door? I'm like, yeah. And then my wife was actually pretty into it. And it was just like, you know, once again, this good energy. And, and I learned from John Lee that he's the youngest of 11 kids. He's from Haiti. And he came to Turks and Caicos five years ago. And he did that to pursue his passion and dream in hospitality. And he has three jobs and is about to get his college degree from the local university in Turks. This is all uncovered through the meal, right? And he just comes back and um, and he calls me Mr. Chris. Mr. Chris, like, this is so fun, blah, blah, blah. You got like, I can't believe you're actually taking the time to talk to me. And I'm like, John Lee, this is amazing. Now I'm going to ask the question. And it was right around dessert. I said, you ready? He goes, yeah, I'm ready, Mr. Chris. And, and I go, John Lee, tell me what your dream is. You work so hard. You're so good at what you do. What is it that you want more than anything in the world? And he thought about it. And he gets back to me. He goes, now, Mr. Chris, I have two answers. Okay. Is that okay? I was like, yeah, that's fine. He goes, number one, I want to I'm doing all these jobs to get back to Haiti. I want to see my, I haven't seen my family in five years. So that's my dream number one. And my mom's a little bit sick, blah, 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 right? Like, so I want to get back to Haiti. And my dream number two is come to America and work in hospitality. That's my ultimate dream. And that, Mr. Chris, is my dream. And I then turned to my wife. I was like, uh, that's awesome. Like, do you know how many people your age is 22 that they have no idea what their dream is? And he leaves the table and he goes, grabs our dessert. And I was like, Julia, I'm going to Aladdin this. Like I, I got a great wish number one. So he can focus on two. She was like, absolutely. So he comes back to the table. I go, John Lee, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to buy your ticket right now to go see your family in Haiti to grant wish number two. So you can solely focus on that wish. Uh, so on, on that wish number two of going to America and working in hospitality. And I'm not going to just stop after this first wish. And you, I mean, he broke down into tears and it was like this emotion that I, I didn't really expect because I'm like, it's 450 bucks. Like, that's easy. Right. But like here he is busting, you know, all day, every day to try to make that work. And I was able to take that out. Right. So here's where it gets fun. And so it was about three weeks ago. It was 1030 at night. We were about to put on Stranger Things or whatever, or we just finished. And my wife was like, who, Chris, who are you texting at 1030? Because I don't really, you know, we, I've kind of on and off switched. I was like, John Lee. She's like, Chris, you're still talking to him? I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to get a visa to bring him to Atlanta. We're bringing him to Atlanta. I think I've got this figured out. We're going to make wish number two come true. And I say all of that, Caleb, because that is what I, I want to do that at scale right? Like that, that is what I was put on this earth to do and why I'm now really almost willing to sacrifice anything to get there. And 
So one of the most important things that as people are going out there, remember, like, go there, right? What's your dream? What fires you up? Why do we not go there in conversation? Right? And when you start going there, amazing things happen, right? So... I, so so many things. I want to connect some dots that you said sure. like a while ago about the search engine. I love that. I've never actually heard anyone else speak about that. Is that is that original to you from a standpoint of like an exercise? I don't know. I kind of made it up when I was writing the book, so maybe. It, it's brilliant. Here's why. You tap into your passion, but you also tap into servicing others. Mm. Because I believe, and this could be this could be wrong. But I believe ultimately passion dies out if you're not giving to other people. And so passion on whether it's more gasoline or it's emphasized greater when you can be of service to other people. And so it's like you are the number one beneficiary when you're helping other people find 100%. their dreams. The, the other thing that I've just realized, and this is why we get along so well, is from a very young age, I would ask people hard questions. Mm-hmm. And number one, no one's ever asking. And and number two, it's it's... It, I believe change happens with questions. And so I just, I want to, I want to thank yeah. you number one, but I want to challenge the people that are watching this and, and listening to this. Yes. We're challenging you to find your dreams, but, but maybe you got to ask three people that you know, and you already know who those three people are. What are their dreams? Because relationships will get deeper and opportunities will open that you don't even know is possible because you're going out there, you're putting yourself out there and asking that question. And so I just, a couple of things I just wanted to highlight because I, I'm inspired, man. And I'm just so grateful for the way that you articulate and, and share what is so important. Um, and unfortunately people are living to a fraction of it. Yeah. And, and, you know, one thing I'll acknowledge is the awkwardness that it can sometimes feel right. And, and you, that's a muscle that you build, right. And, um, it's actually through time that you get that kind of discerning, I can figure it out in the really the first 30 seconds. And one of the things that I get challenged on in that kind of area is one, what happens if you get stuck in what I call a race to the middle, which is how fast you can find a common passion point with you and that other person. You don't, you don't go straight into what's your dream. People are going to be like, what the hell's wrong with this person? Right? Like, what? Nah, I just met you. Right. First, you got to find that common passion point, a race to the middle. And once you get there, that's where you take it to the next level. And I will throw the ball against the wall twice. And if it comes back and hits me in the face and I don't feel it, I move on to the next conversation. And yeah. and so I don't even if it doesn't work then and people aren't willing to go deep on to the next. One thing that I've that I've learned, there's no I don't have any science to back this up, but I've realized that people will match your authenticity. So it's interesting. It's like, I don't want it to be all about me, but if you go in and straight out ask for the question, people are like, hold on, I don't yeah. know you. I don't know if I can trust you. What I've always found is I've tried to perfect the two minute, the two minute summary that shares authenticity, shares that vision, but also shares that I do not have my life figured out. And this is the thing I'm struggling with. Dude, you open when we first chatted about things that you're struggling with. Like it wasn't from a standpoint of like, oh, like I'm, you're depressed. It's like, this is real life. And why yeah. do you think we have such a connection? We've only talked twice in per- like over virtual. Yeah, We have a better connection that some people have over 30 year relationships. So it's one of those things where um, people will match your authenticity and energy. And so make sure like questions are really important. Make sure it's not a 30 minutes about me. 
but sometimes going straight in for the question um, mm -hmm. could be ineffective. Um, so I have a quote that actually is right in line with that, and it's um, curiosity is the difference between connecting and networking. And because networking is transactional in nature, right? Connecting is that's where the magic happens. And I've got a lot of fun stories that I can share that are in line with kind of what's inspired that and where this epiphanal thing that's happened to me in the last, probably one of the greatest of my life in the last six weeks has happened. But um, yeah, it's um, somehow, by the way, my cat was able to open the door to this cottage and just walked in. And I have no idea how he did that. I love it. So many other things that we could say, man. Why don't, why don't we take a step back? <laughs> What's the kitty's name? It's Scout. Scout. Love it. Um, that's going to be the thumbnail. Okay. Oh God. <laughs> um, all right. So let's take a step back. Yes. You two books, you keynote, you coach, you're going to run a future retreat center. That's going to be epic. How do we take a step back? How do, how does my audience take the next step with you? Yeah. And where are you headed? I know that you've shared, stated your dream, but where, mm -hmm. where are you headed the next one to three years and how can we be a part of the rocket ship? Yeah. So the best place to connect with me is actually on Instagram and that's at tough T U F F two, two. And I'm very responsive on, um, I mean, if anyone has specific questions or whatever, like that's the best place or on LinkedIn, I'm, I've got a lot better at LinkedIn and that's forward slash Christopher Tuff. And just to learn more and kind of see what I'm all about and where it is that I'm um, speaking or whatever, go to christuff.me uh, is my website. So that, that's kind of the best places to connect. Uh, and then where it is that I'm heading is, I mean, my main thing will be doing speeches um, over the, you know, one a week uh, all over the place and the next year. I think that'll end up evolving. But, you know, the key for me is to really hit as many people as I can through my keynotes, um, which uh, for Savior Asks, the the title of that one is Am I an Asshole? And um, it's just, uh, it's... That to me is really where I am going to be able to really, I think, impact its scale within certain organizations. So, you know, for anyone listening that has a group or an organization or whatever that's looking to look at life a little bit differently, but, you know, to help really supercharge your sales teams, uh, that's that. That's that's what I'm doing, and y'all. You know, once again, I'm I'm working with amazing organizations. You know, Nike. Um, I'm actually speaking at Harvard uh, again on August 18th. So it's starting to happen. Um, July. Once again, like taking me to like my current state. Like July. No one works in July, and here I am. Like I've got two daughters, two horses, two bunnies a cat, a dog, a wife, all to support. And I'm like, nothing's happening. Like, what am I, what's going to happen? Like, how am I going to make ends meet? Whatever. And it's all going to work out. But um, yeah, nothing happens in July. So um, I've been kind of in a, a state of figuring out, all right, where is it that I want to be going? And what is ultimately my own, purpose and positioning and then where is it that I want to be focusing my time and efforts um so yeah it's been actually 
probably one of the most important parts, but I hate that side, right? I hate sitting by myself and like putting words on paper. I like doing this. And, you know, and for anyone listening that's struggling with pursuing their passions, this is a piece of advice that might be helpful is find a partner to do it with because it creates an account. That's what I do with anything that I get my hands in. I find a partner for it. And, you know, some more sophisticated entrepreneurs will like look at me and they're like, Chris, you give away equity way too early. Or you give away. I'm like, nope, that's the only way this thing's going to become a reality is I need someone else to do it with me. I'm also an identical twin, married to an identical twin. That might be something to do with it. And probably the biggest extrovert to ever live. <laughs> so, you know, for those that are struggling to pursue their passions or they have this idea, go find someone that helps complement your um, strengths. Um, and we can get into some of the, my favorite tools and other pieces, but, um, yeah, so that, that one to me is find a partner, right? Yeah. Find a, find a partner and bring them in on it and then see where it goes. What, what I always do is I talk to like my 80 year old self. If I ever feel like scared because I know it's like, Hey, listen, um, I will die someday. And I will look back on on the time that we have with maybe more energy than I will have at 80. I'm not sure. I have a lot yeah. of energy now. I'm hoping to have a lot of energy at 80. <laughs> but I just like I it puts it in perspective to be like, man, like um, I've potentially lived one fourth of my life or more. And it and it goes fast, but it creates perspective. And it's like I don't want to procrastinate on. Dude, the you're 26. Life. You're fine. I'm the one dying over here. I'm 42. <laughs> It, th those that's the kind of perspective that is always good and that's what i do whenever i feel like uh, fear or scared or when i have a lot of ego it that is the exercise that i do that keeps a lot of that in check you've written two phenomenal books do you want to give a quick overview on each each one of them i'm going to have links below yeah. and then if there's anything else that you want to give like go for it um man this has been time i'm going to end on one story how about that Sounds good. But yeah, my books are The Millennial Whisperer and then my and that was published I don't know, three years ago, three, four years ago. 2019. Yeah, 2019. Crazy. Uh and that's all really about it's all about connection, genuine connection, but genuine connection inward to your people. And that millennials and Gen Zers aren't the problem. Um, they just expose a lot of the problems. And so I work with companies around their culture, how to better retain and and uh, attract talent. Um, and build cultures that truly scale and thrive. And then Save Your Asks is my most recent book, and that is uh, Genuine Connection Outward, right? So how can you become a better salesperson? And even if you're not a salesperson, how do you do that? Whilst also giving people what I think they all desire, which is this idea that we all need to be pursuing passions in some domain and cultivating, because actually we'd be more effective as a salesperson if we did that. Um, so... Those that 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 those are the books. Buy them on Amazon. If people can't afford it, or whatever, I'll send you the PDF. Whatever, um, you know, books are for me. It's just the way to scale impact. And, and I will say this: if you do buy the books, please take two minutes and review them on Amazon. It really <laughs> helps across the so, board get more people exposed so, to this message. It's what's funny, Caleb, is people are like, Chris, how come you only have like 30 something reviews of Save Your Asks? Because I'm like, because I save my asks with everyone. I don't ask anyone to rate or review it or buy it, right? Because I've got to practice what I pe preach, even in the beginning of Save Your Asks, where most people will put their endorsements, like all my like famous or well, to, you know, people that names that people would recognize. I say like, I didn't, add, you got to take my word for it. I didn't get any endorsements from my famous friends because I needed to save those asks, 
right? Just practice what you preach. Love so it. can I end with one story? Yeah, 100%. So everyone listening lives somewhere on the ask continuum, all right? Now, if asks come really easy to you, you are most likely an asshole, right? And so you've got to move more towards this place of creating genuine connection. If you're more like me, which, and Caleb, I have a feeling you're a little bit more like this, you're, you're on the other side of that same spectrum where you will let the ask pass you by. It's that moment where you know you should ask, but you don't because you feel bad, right? And so my favorite tactic, specifically for those people that are on that other side of the ask continuum that let the ask pass them by is what I, going back to dreams, right, is what I call masking your ask in your dream. All right. And it looks something like this. It was actually in the interviewing with some of the world's best networkers that I came across a guy, family friends of um, of of mine that um, his name's Jason Trotwine, incredible entrepreneur, a beautiful mind, um, came from the veterinary world, had his, you know, very, very, very successful. And we were connecting. He was, you know, he had you know, hair down to his shoulders. He was at his house in Hawaii. And he was introduced to me as a guy that rents out Kelly Slater's wave pool. I'm like, hell yeah, I want to meet this dude. And we hit it off right on this, on this zoom call. And, and it was coming towards the end of the call. And I'm looking at kind of who it is that I'm going to be interviewing. I was like, I need more people to interview. So, oh, Jason, I'm going to practice my favorite tactic with you. Are you ready? Like people come to you all the time for favors, right? So tell me if this works. He goes, yeah, bring it on, Chris. I go, okay, it's called masking your asking your dream. And I'm telling you, Jason, you probably have learned this about me, but my dream is to create a handbook, whether you just graduated from college or you're some 50-year-old sales exec that just feels stuck. I want to help all of those people become better salespeople and networkers, but also in the process, live a more fulfilling life. Who in your network do I have to interview? And immediately he goes, Chris, you got to interview Raymana. Do you know who, who Raymana is? I was like, I think so. Tell me more. He goes, well, Raymana is Kelly Slater's right hand at Surf Ranch, right? It's this man-made wave pool in the middle of California. And it's actually Raymana that helps everyone get up on that wave. And it was seven minutes into our relationship. I was about to paddle into the first wave there. And he was on the jet ski next to me and he looks over to me. He puts his hand on my heart. He looks into my eyes and he says, I love you, brother. Now just breathe, just breathe. And then I caught the most epic barrel of my life. And ever since that moment, Chris Riman and I have a bond that is forged. And, you know, now here we are eight years later, I'm going to send him a text message and tell him to FaceTime you. And I was like, Awesome. And by the way, I know of Raymond. I follow Kelly Slater. Like I've seen him. Like he's pretty, he's, you know, pretty massively influential in the surfing world. Anyways, 24 hours later, I get a face, a Zoom, a FaceTime from Raymana. And I can see him. He's in Tahiti. We're all stuck in our houses at the height of COVID. And I'm like, he's he comes on with a big smile. And Raymana, he has gray hair. He he's not like your typical pro surfer. He's a big dude, right? And he's like, brother man, what's going on? I'm like, oh my God, this guy is the best. All right, Ramana, it looks like you're in Tahiti. I'm stuck in my house in Atlanta. Like, tell me, I want to live vicariously through you. Tell me about your day. He's like, brother man, I just got off Sergey Brin's yacht and I was teaching his wife how to surf. Wonderful lady, actually pretty good surfer. Now here I am with you. I was like, Ramana, you truly are the greatest connector of billionaires and whatever people. Like, that's amazing. Now, 
tell me about this bond you have with Jason. Because he talks about this moment where you were on the jet ski at Surf Ranch and you put his hand, your hand on his heart. You looked at his eyes. You said, I love you, brother. Breathe. Like, tell me about that. He goes, ah, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Now, don't tell Jason this. But I tell that to everyone when I'm teaching them how to surf at Surf Ranch. <laughs> and I mean two things by it. One, take in this wave. It's going to be one of the most epic waves of your life. Two, this might be the most epic wave of your life that you miss. And I want you to actually leave with a smile on your face. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Now, here's where it gets interesting, right? So I, I said, Ramana, you know, we've headed off. Jason and I have headed off. I am going to surf at Surf Ranch with you. And by the way, if anyone listening, like Surf Ranch, it is the most impossible ticket. To, it's like playing Augusta National, right? For anyone that's a golfer. And so I said, I'm going to surf Surf Ranch with you. And it was six weeks ago, Caleb, that I get a call from Jason. And Jason, mind you, we will text here and there, but our only interactions has been via me interviewing him on this Zoom two, whatever it was, two years ago, three years ago when I started writing Save Your Asks. And he goes, all right, Chris, uh, guess what? I was like, what? He goes, in two weeks, you're going to come to Surf Ranch and it's a fundraiser for my friend Grant Corrigan and uh, you're coming, baby, and you're going to surf that wave. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, like this is going to happen. And I fly out to Surf Ranch and I totally botch my first wave, right? And you only get two waves in an hour and really six waves, clean waves, where you get the whole thing to yourself the whole time you're there for 36 hours. So I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm done for. Like, I'm going to go back having just totally botched everything, blah, 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 right? And so I get in there for my second wave, the final wave of the night, and I get up and I start the turn and I hear this familiar voice. Get low, get low, now turn and turn. I'm like, Ramana, Ramana is there next to me on the wave. I catch the most epic barrel. I have tears coming down my face. And the rest of the whole like two day or 36 hours kind of fell in line with that. And like I was I was hanging out with Kelly Slater's team and really getting to know this guy, Grant Corgan, who's by far the most inspirational person I've ever met. He was um, paralyzed at age 30 in a snowmobile accident, pushed himself across all of uh, all of the South Pole. And then he's now the only paraplegic with his pilot's license. I'm like, so all this stuff has happened. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is it, right? This is it. This is like, this is that stoke. This is that moment. This is the, this, these, this is what I'm trying to inspire for everyone to go after because if you can dream it and you put it out there it will become a reality it's not also manifesting it you make it happen right like that whole thing was choreographed because i never stopped actually executing in the pursuit of that dream and so hopefully people can find inspiration from that but you know how i use Ramana my keynote is that we all need to be actually a lot more like Ramana and a lot like assholes Right? If we could actually double down on that thing that we are passionate about, which in Raymana's case is surfing and teaching people to get up on this wave and he can get anyone up on that wave. You know, and here he is, like he he's on a first name basis with the who's who in the world, right? And so what if we could all actually just be a little bit more like Raymana and less like the asshole that we're all we're all being trained to be? That would be awesome. Chris, I <laughs> appreciate you a ton. And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for giving it your all. 
And um, I, I just, I can't wait to see what the future holds, man. I think there's going to be a lot of people that get uh, unlocked thank to, thanks to you. Um, and I'm pumped to see it happen and be, be in the trenches with you. So um, I will have links below to all the things that you, you have mentioned. My last question for you is if this is your last day on this earth and you were with your two daughters and wife and you couldn't give them any of your books, any interview, you only had one last conversation with them. What are you going to make sure to highlight in that conversation? I mean, it would be go for it. Right. And, you know, everything that I've done up until this moment has been around teaching you your hustle muscle and, you know, that tenacity and resilience. But if you have enough of a passion for it, just go for it, but don't give up. Right. You got to keep bouncing back and do not let people tell you it's impossible. And that, you know, I love them and, you know, that, that they need to be ruthlessly pursuing their passions. And, you know, I kind of live every day like that, to be honest. Right. And so, you know, it's interesting. So this tattoo, it says, uh, everywhere I go, this is my last story, but with my 12 year old, uh, ever since she was five, the last thing I say to her is, do you feel my love? And she says, everywhere I go. And she, so I got her a necklace with two little bars of that. And, you know, that's the bond that I know that when I'm gone, like that's what they're going to roam with. And, you know, I'm putting a hundred percent in, I'm not always a hundred, like I screw up. Right. Like, and I get distracted by my phone and, you know, I'm not saying I'm the best parent, but I'm having those conversations, those moments in between. Some people call it garbage time, but how can we actually choreograph more of those into our life, both with our kids and our friends and our family? So Chris, man. Yeah. Best is yet to come. Appreciate you. Yes. I love it. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.